Hey guys, welcome back to Life MMA in the NBA. I'm your host DJ San Marco here with you on a beautiful Sunday morning here in Florida. Uh, on a special morning, we're actually going to be simulcast, if you will, on Chris Lido's YouTube channel. So Chris Lido is at Chris Otis, C-H-R-I-S-O-T-I-S-7-8 on uh, Twitter. And so Nathan and I, at A Wave Soul, my partner, uh, are joining Chris Lido on his pod, on his uh, YouTube channel, where he breaks down uh, the UFO engagements that the Navy had from a fighter pilot perspective. Um, and what ended up happening is he's recording it on his end. And once I figured out how to do the audio uh, without Zoom, etc., I started mine. So all you've missed thus far is Chris Lito introducing me. So in essence, you haven't missed anything. Uh, so with that, let me turn it over to Chris Lito and his YouTube channel. Sure, I think almost 1,400 hours of uh, MBG time uh, as well. So. DJ uh, is is with us uh, uh, as well as uh, Nathan. So Nathan, uh, I'll let them both introduce themselves here uh, here shortly. But uh, he also works on the podcast uh, with DJ. It's a uh, Life MMA and MBA is the name of their podcast. They've run uh, for several years now. Um, and so uh, Nathan, uh, he is very interested in all this UAP stuff and enters to really ask questions. The idea is they were interested in. Why is the Tic Tac uh, extraordinary? So a little over to you, uh, DJ. Tell us about uh, yourself and, and why you're here. Yes, sir. So yes, this, uh, this is a different iteration of many podcasts I've done. Most of my podcasts have been MMA focused. Uh, this year I started doing life MMA and NBA just so that I could cover a variety of different topics. I wanted to step away from... Uh, trying to popularize uh, the UFC because of uh, how they treat their fighters. Uh, Nathan and I just started uh, doing some stuff together in the last month or so because I had him on with Andy of uh, th uh, That UFO Podcast. And Nathan was so brilliant that uh, uh, in analyzing uh, the UAP phenomenon that I just wanted to do more stuff with him. And once you hear him, you'll understand why. Uh, but yeah, former Air Force flight engineer, about uh, just under 4,000 hours of flying. Um, on on which aircraft? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Okay. okay. Um, you know, I started off in the C-130H like a lot of guys. Uh, you fly what we call slicks uh, before you go into AFSOC. And then uh, if you get yourself selected going to AFSOC, uh, I flew the Combat Talon II. Most of my time was on that. And then I did my last three years. Um, Combat Talon II is like a low-level infill exfil airdrop resupply special forces yeah it can yep. fly in zero visibility at 250 feet all night long yeah it's crazy uh at night all that stuff so it was a, a me and still they're working on a replacement still it's the most advanced platform for that in the world until they just get finished with these last few pieces of its replacement then they're going to retire all of them um then i flew this one called the mc-130w which was a replacement for the combat talent two. we crashed four of those uh so they they bought some replacements and then decided to turn them into a precision strike platform uh a gunship if you will 
and it was called the AC-130W, so I finished up on there. Um, like you said, I got a lot of MVG time, a ridiculous amount of having those things on my head. Uh, uh, what about the FLIR systems? Are those compatible? Uh, like the uh... So the, the one that we used was the one that you'll see in the Aguadilla video, the MX-15. Uh, the, the FLIR systems that we used prior to that were not all that advanced. Uh, they were made basically for doing MVG low level and for doing MVG landings. And then when we became uh, a, a gunship, we got much more advanced. Now they're using an MX-20 or an MX-25. So it's even, since I retired, it's gone up two generations. But the Okay, ones, so you, yeah. yeah, the same system, right? The same as uh, Aguadilla. Uh, what system. was? Okay, so you used that for mm -hmm. years, I guess. A couple of years, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, excellent. So, uh, yeah, so you, you approached me. I, I liked your your enthusiasm and uh, motivation. So, so Nathan, uh, why, don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, yeah. So I'm a, a fly on the UFO UAP wall. Um, an average American just coming into this topic in, the, in recent years, I'm fascinated by the technological, uh, technological ramifications of these videos, uh, just like a lot of folks who follow this, really interested to learn more, get your perspective, uh, and ask some questions that I think um, are on a lot of people's minds uh, about you know where where we go from here if in fact these things are doing what they are uh, purported to be doing. Yeah, hi, hi everybody, WTI Baron. Sorry, I don't know how to say it. Dragonfly, Trey T. Good to see you guys. The Signal. So. Thanks for being here, and and thanks as well, Nathan. You, uh, you know, you bring a good viewpoint as well. Um, where, where I've kind of struggled to, you know, I always thought people knew what MVGs meant. <laughs> you know, I I use that when I go back uh, back and talk to like family or or friends, and I'll just throw <laughs> I throw around these terms, you know, and basically people don't the the normal American doesn't know what MVGs you know means. Actually, you know, it's like a kind of a foreign concept. It's difficult to to consider. So I'm, I'm glad you're here as well. And we'll be taking uh, uh, questions at the end uh, from all the people here. So thanks for being here. So um, DJ, uh, we were talking a little bit before we started here, um, but your point, and I think the point of this, uh, this live stream uh, is basically your argument is that there's so many witnesses, especially for the Nimitz encounter. So for this, we'll just focus on the Nimitz encounter, but at the end, we can take questions uh, as well, you know, around 45 minutes for this, and then we'll take questions for about 30 minutes. Um, but basically, if, if you look at the Nimitz encounter, and I just started looking really deeply into the evidence and listening to all of the, uh, the witness accounts, um, and you look, there's just, just so many people that actually just looked at these with their eyes, you know, with binoculars on the Nimitz. You know, you have almost, what, 5,000 people or something in a carrier group, and these things were following them, supposedly, in 2004, following the Nimitz. Um, to where you could just go up and use the big eye, which is this big camera system right on the front. Uh, and, and Gary Voorhees was saying that, that he would just go look at the big eye and then ended up just using his binoculars, you know, and I have a good set of like Nikons from hunting and stuff. I'm not a, I'm not a good hunter or anything, but um, yeah, basically hundreds of people saw these things doing really crazy maneuvers. Um, and, and so, yes, I, I think we should exhaustively research all the possibilities, you know, that's what you do in any like crash safety investigation uh, is you make sure that every single possible explanation is ruled out. Um, 
you know, but but for this purpose of this really is just what what if we can just assume for the purpose of this conversation uh, that the Tic Tac is is legitimate. So all of the claims that were made were correct. Um, you know, what does that tell us about uh, why it's extraordinary? Uh, and, you know, and basically, if there's any questions about the FLIR system, so I have it set up here, I have like my Xbox uh, set up so we can talk through basically, uh, you know, this this energy circle at the beginning just just blows me away. You know, Mick West brought that up. And I was like, man, you're right. Like, because before I thought it was tail on, you know, so so basically some some points, but really kind of just focusing on the Tic Tac, uh, why it's extraordinary um, and and basically answering your questions. So an informal uh, kind of question answer session. So that's the idea for this podcast. And Nathan has a series of questions that he wants to ask from a lay, lay person standpoint, and that's going to add a lot of value because like you said, a lot of people, you know, the army calls them NVDs, you know, night vision devices. We call them NVGs, night vision goggles. I mean, so, you know, we got to, you know, be careful with our terminology, but the most, you know, to me, like to step through it chronologically, beginning with um, the radar, uh, Kevin Day tracking these on radar for several days, I believe seven nights, seven days prior to saying to the, uh, uh, saying to his leadership, I think we ought to engage, uh, send, uh, uh, the skipper Fravor and his wingman to engage this and see what it is with vi visually observe it. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, starting there, so this, the SPY-1 radar, I worked with this in my last job. I was uh, at the Tactical Leadership Program. And we did an exercise where basically we bring in all these NATO crew, would bring their fighters together, and then we put them through this. Uh, it was a month-long course, and we shortened it to two weeks, um, this course together. So at the end, they're like this fighting team. You know, I think it's an amazing concept. Actually, it's probably the best way to do training, actually. Um, but one of those uh, missions uh, is against a ship. So we would get a ship uh, and they would do this crazy, you know, borderline, you know, uh, dangerous uh, attack against a ship, you know, because attacking a ship is, is just very, very difficult. Um, there's MCON procedures. MCON means you have to turn off all of your uh, emissions. Emitters. So you can't, mm -hmm. you can't make a call on the radio, <laughs> you know, uh, the data link that I'm sure you'd be talking about, uh, at, you know, uh, at some point with, uh, you know, that uh, you can't, you can't transmit anything you know as soon as you talk on the radio ship knows you're talking on the radio uh and so they're, they're very dangerous um and and so i've learned and i actually got to see a few briefs exactly on the spy1 radar because the aegis cruiser is f100 uh it's a f100 ship you know it's awesome ship that that uh, i believe they purchased from from the u.s uh so spain has uh it's aegis cruiser and it has those those flat plates you know, and that's that actively scanned array technology. You know, in in the radars that I always used, it was this mechanical scan. You know, it's a conical uh, radar that's that has to scan back and forth. Um, but those giant flat plates that you see, you know, on on these crazy looking ships, you know, that's the radar. And and that whole radar actually, it, it's a it's an array, so an array of tiny little uh, radars. So little tiny little. Uh, like pixels, if you will, and now they can aim those pixels wherever they want. So if they want to put the full power of the radar and jam you, <laughs> you know, uh, they can, or so they can bounce it around. So they, the Navy is, is amazing in their electronic attack um, capabilities. You know, I worked with, uh, I did electronic attack in the aggressors up in Alaska, 
and we were using these these electronic attack pods and and the best ones we could get were the Durfum technology jammers you know digital radio frequency memory it's really digital jammers and they came from the navy you know the the the, the software we were using the codes uh, uh even the, a lot of the hardware uh, was from the navy so the navy i think is just kind of ahead in a lot of ways in certain ways uh you know i think all the other services have their big advantages and disadvantages uh, but you bring up a great point. This this SPY-1 radar uh, that they just put in, that was a huge upgrade. And from my understanding, you know, again, limited, is that it can see very high up. You know, if you're looking at high missiles, so if you're trying to detect inbound incoming missiles, you're trying to defend certain Middle Eastern countries <laughs> or whatever. Uh, so they look up, actually. That SPY system is is looking up. So that's why I can see these things coming down from like 80,000 feet, et cetera. Or uh, more. They act, yeah. I, I don't know it, yeah. that they want to tell us how high, but they say he said 80,000 feet at least. So Yeah. What's and, up, Hayden King and uh, Don D? Welcome, guys. Furtis7, thanks and, for being here. And yeah. just to, I just want to explain one thing that you were saying what a lot of people understand about radar is Chris talked about a phased array radar. That's what we're talking about here. And he also mentioned a spinning dish, the type, you know, in, for an aircraft radar, it would go to the – the uh, width of the, the gimbal, but you know, if you look at like an air traffic control radar that would spin 360 degrees, little blips would appear on the screen and it was up to the ability of the radar operator to look at that, uh, that on his screen and figure out, okay, that's an aircraft that's traveling at this speed, there's range rings, and there was a lot of interpretation from the radar operator. Now we're taking those returns, we're sending them through signal processing units and there's a lot of computerization that's going on with those radar returns that come back that we didn't have. That goes on on the aircraft when, we, when we're going to talk about jamming later on. Um, those signal processors interpreted that they were being jammed. Uh, and in the case of the SPY-1, there's any number of hundreds or thousands of things that it's interpreting to uh, that they then the operator's going to look at and put their, uh, uh, you know, for them to look at and interpret and give feedback to command in C2. Did they, um, Ed, did they receive jamming, I guess, from, Alex did the ship receive jamming? Of their ship? I yeah. don't think so. That's that's the interesting question. So that I, that's almost like a first big question. Did this object not determine that phased array? Either it didn't A, interpret it to be a threat, or B, did not have the ability to jam it one or the other. Because the, the, the energy that's being put out by a SPY-1 is not a focused beam of high RF energy that will literally uh, make you feel warm inside. Yes, I felt it before accidentally walking in front of an aircraft that was testing a high RF energy radar on the ground. Um, Jesus. So, it can't be helped. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't good. I went back to the squadron. <laughs> Luckily, we were on an e-tick for over an hour, hour and a half, and I thought I was going to puke at my desk the whole time. But anyway, yeah. that is undeniable, that uh, undeniable focused beam of energy, and I don't think the phased array represents that. Do you? Um, well, like I just said, so a phased array, they can they can program it how they like. So the best, you, could, you could, from my basic understanding, right, I'm not a, a radar expert, um, but from my understanding is you could take the whole, you could take all of those little pixels and point them at the same at the same point in the sky, uh, and maximize you know power 
Um, or you could just take one little pixel and send it over here digitally and then send one little pixel over here and keep track of these targets. And that's what they're doing. Um, and yes, of course, uh, you're always any system, if you're tracking something, the best is passive, right? So passively tracking something, obviously they don't know that you're that you see them. Um, but with with radar, it, that's the whole point is you have to send energy that that is being sent back. So they can pick up, they can detect that energy. And when you send the energy, uh, actually, so the way electromagnetic radiation travels is that it's 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 by the square root of the distance, right? So basically, if you have a flashlight and you and you bring the light up to it, you won't see against a wall, you won't see any light, won't see any light, and then all of a sudden you'll see the light on the wall, you'll see the circle on the wall. You know that that's because the energy is dispersing it is a square root in a square. Okay, so uh, it decreases by the square root of the distance, by the square of the distance, uh, however that works, uh, and so. The point is you have to send a lot more energy one way than back. So it's easy to detect that you're being targeted because they have to send double the energy that their rate, well, much more magnitudes of order, more than the energy uh, than the radar needs to detect. So um, you can do a lot of things with ASA and it, yeah, it'd be interesting to know. I'm sure That's they have the first uh, anomaly. receiving systems. Yep. That's the first anomaly is why didn't it, if it could jam a phased array radar, why didn't it? <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I guess so. Well, the first thing is, what do we, what do we know from that? Assuming, yeah, again, again, assuming it's all legit, right? So we're assuming that it's completely uh, everything's taken at face value. Uh, it can pick up these things, right? That was kind of interesting to me because if you look at a lot of the FLIR videos, if you look, in, none of them have any any range, um, or I, I believe none of them show any true range to the target that's based off of uh, energy coming back. Um, right, because basically you, you have to send that energy pulse out, uh, and it has to be coded because it's military systems, right? I mean, you have to people have to remember that these systems that we're using, they're all designed with with the requirements that they can be anti-spoofed, you know, anti-jammed. Um, so each pulse that it sends out is specifically coded. Also, you just, you don't want to get confused with other random random codes out there. Uh, but so each little each little pulse is specifically coded. So when it comes back, it can say, yeah, this is my pulse. And it, it took this long to go that far. So I know how far away it is, right? That's how the radar pulses it. Um, but what's what's happening is for some reason, the ASA, the, the big system on the ship, right? Which has these tiny little, which can, can send out these little pulses that are hard to detect, that can pick them up, you know? Or maybe it's the processing in there. Uh, but when you look at like, uh, the radar, although um, Chad Underwood did say he, he picked it up on radar, as soon as it seems like it's getting a lot of energy on it, it, it just drops it. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and a lot of people have been saying that's it's due to jamming. Um, it it I guess it could be. There's nothing saying that it that it isn't. You know, the responses from the radar is that it's being jammed. Um, the signal processor thinks it's being jammed. Exactly. Uh, it, it, what it's all you all we know for sure, 100 percent, is that. It, it has been modified, you know, from outside of whatever parameters the radar is expecting. So that that's an interesting result to me, um, is that it, it has been modified. So it's getting pulses back. So it's reflecting. Mm -hmm. So it's reflecting off this. So if you go, I think I saw one question, you know, like the, the pulse bubble, or, or what is it, you know, if it's in like uh, some a plasma bubble, mm -hmm. I don't, that would be an interesting question to actually ask is what happens if you throw radar, uh, you know, a, a pulse, pulse train, you know, because it's a bunch mm -hmm. of pulses in a row. 
if you throw a pulse train at a plasma, what bounces back? You know, is, is it yeah, the, uh, the, yeah. the plasma argument? I mean, there's just so many different uh, hurdles that they would have to leap over in order to be a, a plasma bubble, because now we'd have to look at where was it projected from? We're in a we're in a, a circle here that was somewhat concentric. So would would Fravor have flown through their projection? So there's I, I've kind of dismissed the, the plasma bubble argument. I think this is. This is uh, an object of, of a substance that that the radar on the that they were able to track and actually make a shape out of it and say, okay, that's a shape, and that shape looks very similar to the Vizop. Okay, so you're saying they were able to shape, like basically shape it from the radar returns? No, you saw or, it. I mean, you you uh, saw and it. The oh, TV. Sorry, the FLIR. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. You what you're seeing on the FLIR jives with the visob yeah uh it, i don't yeah, exactly. know what it looked like on radar we, can, we may uh, never know that <laughs> yeah i do want to show it later because i've seen a couple arguments saying there's confusion between the tv and the ir mode you know in the tv mode that's we can talk through uh a little bit uh a little bit more of that but let's just uh, finish with the with the radars so and and basic jamming so we know the ship saw a bunch of these right so it sounds like there was there was many of them uh, and then we know that Chad Underwood was able to lock it, lock at least at least get a vector. So sometimes what you'll have on your radar is it'll 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 hit, it'll give you a hit, saying that it's receiving some energy there. But then you command a lock on on that point, and now it's telling your radar to focus on it, right? Mm -hmm. um, but you don't have to do that. You could just you could just fly towards that point in space where it's hitting. It's much harder to do this type of intercept, right? Normally. You know, an intercept in a fighter is is, is difficult. It's it's not uh, it's not so easy to intercept another target, especially if it doesn't want to be intercepted. Uh, you know, you have to really know how how uh, how fast it's going. You know, if something's thirty miles away and it's going, you know, three hundred miles an hour, and you don't know which direction, it's kind of hard to intercept it. You know, mm -hmm. so that's why it's it's hard to intercept these things uh, without specific radar lock and, and radar information. So, um, you know, Chad Underwood and in, in his F eighteen, they they had to vector. You know, they probably had a vector kind of like, you know, aiming for it like this until they were able to get uh, get close mm -hmm. enough. Um, go ahead, Nathan. Uh, yeah. yeah, Chris, I have a question. So I, I think sure. a lot of folks don't understand, or at least I didn't understand, the the high degree of fidelity that these systems have now. Uh, I think, it, you know, we're not yeah. clued into that and realize that how precise these things can be. But they're also, as you pointed out, just like incredibly advanced. Like the, there's a lot of technology that's going into a phased array radar uh, that, that is in operation. Is it, is it safe to say that with the introduction of all of these new technologies, that also brings uh, or opens up the door uh, to uh, additional complications? So the more complex a system is, uh, the more um, sort of uh, vectors of of, uh, of failure that that may be there, and and if that's true, I guess I'm curious, what kind of redundancies are are at work within a platform like this? So, is there another type of system that would also be in operation that would be a secondary confirmation to what the array may, may be returning to the operator? Yeah, I mean, without a doubt, you know, I'm not. Um... You know, I, I'll talk to Kevin Day, hopefully, and just get his expert take on it. Sure. Uh, you know, shortly, um, I'll invite him on the show and ask. You know, it's all good questions, but yes, 100%. You know, like, 
again, like every single inch of a, of a Navy ship is, is for uh, military operations. Um, it, you know, they take it very seriously. Um, all the money spent, you know, ideally in all the, in all the right places. And yes, you have to have multiple, you, you have to have multiple systems in, in a line, you know, for degradation purposes. Grace, graceful degradation is what uh, the, the current term is, right? You're not just going to mm. lose all of your knowledge. You're not going to lose all of your capability, but you will see, we call it graceful degradation, is that you will lose certain capabilities. Um, and, it, and it depends on what systems you're losing that those capabilities will, will interact. And that's exactly why people like Kevin Day are even there you know if everything worked if the spy one radar worked i think it's fully automatic you know you would i think you literally need like no one there i mean i'm sure <laughs> i'm gonna take so much cheap. but, but still, i think you, you you can set it on fully automatic and it, i've seen patriot systems which is scarily just fully automatic it's, it's literally just <laughs> automatic uh so everything works on its own so when things are working um well these systems are fully uh, ridiculously made to be easy to use um and really, the point is to have all these people there, and really, why they get paid the the big bucks uh, is because they know how to do all that graceful degradation. So you know, when this doesn't work, they know how to how to execute this. Like they they still get the the mission done. You know, that's mm -hmm. um yeah, hundred percent. It's all and built it's, with redundancy. And it's not as if this tech just sort of rolled out of the lab on a day one and got slapped onto a carrier, right? I mean, it went through a lot of testing before it went out there in, in the in the field of operation. I'd actually like yeah. to speak to that real quick because I heard one of my friends on podcast the other night suggest that during the Nimitz encounter that the Spy One radar was still in test or something, I think they said. And I want to say by virtue of the fact that it was deployed on a system about to go into the battle space, it was not in test. It was operational. It, something that's in test is not employed to go on off on um a, a med deployment as it was that means they've already tested it in garrison so to speak yeah this was they were prepping it for deployment so this is their spin up you know the whole carry group the, the point is they go off you know off the coast and practice their blue water ops essentially uh, while they're not in the blue water um so yeah this it, it was why it was the newest systems there that's why they installed it because they were just going to go down down range etc well if you look at my video on the omaha right so i did the omaha uh, deep dive. If you look, Nathan, on that video, um, you know, you have the sea giraffe. That's the actual tracking radar uh, that we're talking about. That's the advanced kind of uh, ACES system, if you will. It does scan, mm -hmm. but it, it's still electronically scanned. But then in the front, you also have a rotating sea marine radar. And that's actually the radar that I believe is in the, that, that I show in the video. You know, I, initially I had it as that, that was a sea marine. And then I was like, I think it's the, I basically just changed it at the last minute, made a mistake. So, okay, great. But yeah, they have multiple systems. So that, that sea giraffe is going to be looking, that'll be linking to their weapon system. But then you also have that sea marine radar that's going to give them other types of SA. Mm. Um, so there's tons of redundancies. And so when Kevin Day goes through his, his sort of mental checklist of observing all of this feedback and he gets to the finally on that checklist where he's, we got to send human beings out to this thing. I mean, he's probably exhausted a whole lot of analysis to to want to get to that point. Is that safe to say? Yeah. So basically to get out to the, say it again, I'm sorry. I missed it. I was looking at the comments. Yeah, yeah sure. So <laughs> to, to get to the point where where you're sending human pilots out to investigate this this behavior, you've gone already gone through a <laughs> yeah. long laundry list of, of options 
trying to trying to answer the question about what is this. Yeah, and this is good context. Okay, I haven't talked to uh, the, the pilots actually, um, but you have to remember. So, so Fravor, right? Uh, call signs. Yeah, I won't even mention. It. Anyway, so <laughs> badass. Dave, Let's just call yeah, that. <laughs> it's call sign. Uh, the Navy's so bad with their call signs too. You know. Um, yeah. So Fravor, he had just taken over command. You know, he was. He's basically the the top of. You know, he's the fast burner. You know, we want to make you a general, son. You know, basically um, hardworking, went to top, you know, top gun school. Um, and when I was growing up, everyone wanted to be a squadron commander. You know, that is the the ideal. That's the, that's the point. You know, you're that's the dream ideal. You know, I guess maybe like uh, professional football players want to win, in, you know, uh, whatever you call it now, right. the Super Bowl. <laughs> <I forgot. laughs> what whatever, you <laughs> whatever, really what, whatever you call it. Whatever you sports people call it. No, I'm just kidding. I, I do watch. Uh, you I, better start watching. I like soccer playing sports, man. Portugal. Let me just say that. I, I so. play a lot of uh, I play a lot of sports. But anyway, so Fravor, he's he's basically entering the pinnacle of his career. You know that that's the pinnacle. That's like the dream fighter pilot uh, career is. You know, you go to the weapon school. You're the you're the top of the top. You go to the weapon school, uh, and then you, you know you're you're basically a combat you know whatever machine, and then you become a squadron commander, and then you lead a squadron into combat. You know, it's like the the warrior's dream, I guess. Uh, Youngest air wing commander in the Navy at that time. That was Fravor. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, and he's from everything I can tell. I don't know him personally. I haven't contacted him. Uh, haven't contacted him yet. You know, I plan to plan to shortly. I want to do my own analysis. So I don't want to ask him questions he's already answered a hundred times. You know. Um, but yeah, he just is taking over this squadron for the first time. Um, so the. <laughs> It just is so unprecedented. You know what? I, I'm sure Kevin Day, I'm sure he did not want to go and tell Fravor, Vector Fravor onto these other contacts. You know, that's like, it, it kind of feels like everything else is broken down. You know, like they were trying to pass this up to the to the higher ups. Like, hey, sirs, there's this, we're seeing these alien things, <laughs> you know, and, and kind of expecting maybe more action. I, that's what just I assume. Uh, and then... I think at this at some point he's like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna affect this mission, right? Because everybody has a certain training mission they're going to do. You know, they were doing simple air defense. Um, I think it's just one v one, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, basically, they they had a mission, and that's the whole point of all this training is to do this mission. So the fact that that Kevin Day went and like said, hey, to the commander, you know, go look at this. Yeah, the <laughs> it's air pretty, commander. It's pretty telling to me. It's very telling to me that that it kind of. It feels like every, the, the the communication throughout throughout the levels just kind of broke down, or they didn't take it seriously. Or I don't know if they talked prior to that. Did 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 Dave Fravor ever say like, "Hey, no. go and"? No, he had you know, an out. Yeah. Um, he had an out. Kevin Day did because he didn't have to tell them what he thought it was, because that would have made alarm bells go off throughout the entire um, leadership structure, of the ship, and the air wing. All he had yeah. to say was, "There's something out there. We don't know what it is. Can you go look at it? There's something." in our in our working space and um and and so stop training go look at it so that's the context with which it began yeah, yeah that's a big two and and so that's the ship but let's also talk about the e2 which i made that that recent uh, video about so the the e2 is uh, awax is amazing you know really the, at the end of the day like again the fighter pilots probably kill me um <laughs> but uh, you know having a really good 
airborne warning and control, having the, the quarterback up there um, who's not, doesn't think they know everything, you know, and they can work with, with the fighters out in decentralized kind of operations. Those guys, the, the controllers, they can, they can make or break the operation. You know, I've totally seen it um, because all, all we did in Spain was we, just, we were doing these uh, large force exercises where you, you put it, you have a team, you, you make a game plan together. This is what we're trying to do with all these different, uh, you analyze the threats, the, the targets, you make up your tactics. Uh, and, and, but the quarterback of that whole team is, is the AWACS. Um, and, and they're not, uh, they execute the plan more. It's, it's kind of this, this uh, complicated way we do it, you know. In, in Russia, actually, so I studied, you know, Russian tactics for a long time and, and a little bit Chinese tactics. Um, but they, they, they take their top pilots. So they would actually take Fravor, in this case, uh, the Russians, and they put him on the E-2. And so in a real like fight or whatever, Fravor would be like on the E2, you know, and he, and I guess he would be like literally controlling, or at least in some sense, you have a guy that, of that capability, that skill, they take him out of the plane and they're like, no, you're too important. You got to be controlling the chessboard. You know, that's how they think of it. Very, you know, I'm going to move this system here. He shoots that guy. <laughs> yeah. So that's the centralized control idea. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, it, it does make sense, you know, um, because we do get in a little there is some there is some friction between uh the controllers uh, out out in the world just over the whole world i think there's just uh, there is some friction between controllers and the pilots <laughs> you know because the pilots like no no we we execute the plan uh it's our plan we do everything and they're like no no but we know everything we can we've got the bird's eye view uh so there is a battle but the, the point is they are a critical element of all this stuff you know and and the point of the the AWACS is is it can be forward, right? Because if you're if you're going over the sea or if you're going into you know over uh, territory, it's not yours essentially. Um, or if you will need look down, then you have a you have an airborne aircraft, okay? Because because of the shape of the Earth, if you put all your radars on the ground, you, then low altitude coverage is is a difficult issue for you. Like like all the fighting used to be, I think a lot of countries still do low altitude fighting. Um, because it's hard to shoot something that's, you know, tree level uh, and going very fast. Unless if you have a AWACS and an AWACS is just flying above. So you can just, yeah, you're flying down low, but it doesn't matter because I, I can see you. I have line of sight with our radar, right? So all your rate, that's your radar energy. It needs to bounce off uh, and come back. Um, so the point is the E2, E2 is very capable radar as well. And in a different radar band uh, than your SPY-1 radar. Mm -hmm. um, again, and also and, tracking it. Yeah. Yep. Also seeing yep. the object and and had those tapes pulled. You heard the maintenance guy, the avionics maintenance guy, who put those bricks from the E2 in the safe. And an Air Force officer walked in, and he said he knows that because of the patches. That's a crazy story, right? And, the Men in Black story. This and is someone uh, with civilian yeah. clothes with yes. that person. And <laughs> was he in a black suit? Face. Like to be so, just so classic. I, there, there's been a lot that's come out. My eyes in the, I would say the last seven days or so, my eyes have been very opened about some of the dif disinformation programs uh, uh, that apparently, apparently Air Force OSI was involved in, et cetera, et cetera. So you can kind of put out certain pieces of information to hide other things, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not the purpose of our our podcast here but yeah um, exactly i mean there's just there's so again i've been wanting to do this deep dive on the nimitz but there's just so much information yeah one thing i wanted to point out that i, I put in our chat earlier is that so you wonder why with all this automation 
and this literally multi, multi, multi million dollar spy one radar, what do you need Kevin Day for? And the reason that you need Kevin Day, and when you hear him talk, and he'll talk about that, is the reason that he went to Top Gun School is not because the radar does everything automatically. The reason he went to Top Gun School and graduated is because he has seen thousands of tracks. So he can look at something and know what he's seeing and know the capabilities correctly of what he's seeing. And that's the value of a radar operator on a system, even though we've got you know, tons of signal processing going on that we didn't have in World War II. That's why. So, Awesome. Yeah, so I just saw this. I could put on your comments. So that's, I remember Gary Voorhees, right? He said they were wearing uh, USAF, U.S. Air Force insignia, the guys that, uh, that took yeah, the... Yeah, I, uh, I think there was more. Right. I've, I've heard more than one uh, uh, account of more than one type of person that uh, went and got tapes. But again, that's not really germane to what we're talking it doesn't really uh change the story it just that uh people came and took it it doesn't really matter where they were from it, uh, and i do want to come back to that but yeah, by, but by the time that uh they send fravor and dietrich out to, to this object there's been a ton of observation a ton of uh electromagnetic energy that has been uh, directed in the field of operation uh, there, there's been a laundry list of things that the professionals have gone through to assess whatever this or these things might be. And they've confirmed that it is something there. There is something there. It's not just sort of a weird uh, glitch in, in the technology. It's, it's not a, an anomaly. There's something that needs to be investigated further. So Fravor and team are sent to Vector on this target. When they get there, uh, this is what, what interests me. Uh, when they arrive at this location, uh, Fravor talks about the observation, uh, looking down below to the, to the sea level and seeing the churn in the water and seeing the erratic motion of this object. Um, as a pilot who you know, flies a lot out in open water and, and the things that you're used to seeing, um, how how did his account strike you, Chris, in terms of what uh, what would what have been going through your mind if you had seen an object behaving in the way that he described? Yeah, I mean that that was the video that that changed my whole you know perspective was that interview with with Fravor and Lex Friedman, you know, because he because um yeah I've, I've tried uh, I guess to ex uh, explain before that after a while you know you just get so used to it you know like a like you, DJ, you know, you've done so thousands and thousands of hours, you know, if somebody w was explaining to you about a MC-130, you know, this type of, of mission that you did all the time and was explaining as you walk through, you know, here's the FLIR, I'm looking at this this uh, system and I see this, um, at least for me, after so many years, it, it felt like I was there. Um, you know, it's it's as close as I can get to saying I'm, I saw something, you know, I haven't seen anything, um, that I, that was not, I couldn't, my brain didn't, didn't make sense of <laughs> at least, you know, physical movements. I've seen a lot of things my brain doesn't make sense of, uh, in the world, but as far <laughs> as, yeah, as far as that, um, yeah, it really threw me off that, uh, uh, what, what would I do? And that's funny, right? That's the whole point of training is so when you get into a situation you haven't been to, you know, like whatever, uh, getting shot at or something, um, that you you will do what you've practiced, um, and so in, in that case, 
uh, I think for him was just uh, try and get closer to it. You know, I'm sure he thought, can I, can I get any video of this somehow? But he didn't have a pod. You know, he has no pod to try and video it. But I think the biggest thing is, what is that thing? You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the, you, you talk about the inertial movements. You know, when it's just moving, when he describes it as uh, it not moving like a helicopter. You know, if you look at a normal helicopter, it, it, it has to change its lift vector and then get back into, and it has to actually over-rotate. Mm-hmm. Okay, the same thing, you know, here, look. The rotor mast has to, has to lean in that direction. Yeah. Let's do some plain, plain stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. Any, any. Here's a MiG-29 broken, and then uh, whatever my one model that made it. Um, well, like, say you're out of formation, right? You're this, you're this plane, and you're out of formation. You have to put in an acceleration, right? So you have to change the throttle. You have to push it forward faster than you need, essentially, right? To stay level. Like, let me see. Yep. Got I want to. I want to be level with this guy. Say, right? So I want to catch up. I have to push, I have to put more throttle in. I have to make one correction, right? And then in order to stop, if I if I don't change it, I'm gonna keep accelerating, right? I'm gonna keep accelerating. So you have to you have to put in less power than you need to slow down and then fix it. You have to make three corrections. Does that make sense? I have to I have to push the throttle forward to accelerate. Mm-hmm. So the, the plane I'll start moving forward. Right, but then I'm going too fast. I have to actually go back further than I need, so that I slow my momentum, and then I have to push it forward to make it the correct thrust that I need. Does that does that make sense? Yes. So you need three fixes to change your your uh, uh, your lift vector, uh, essentially. At least from my experience. Okay, I'm sure there's physics guys that are gonna yeah. Can I? Me wrong I, I just want to add yeah. one thing, just to give, and it's not trying to butter up. Uh, you or the fighter pilot community, but I'm from the AFSOC community, MC-130, AC-130 community. I have asked people about this. Uh, I've talked to the CV-22 community, the MC and AC-130 community, uh, and I'm sure if I were to be able to talk with the 160th, they would say something similar. You guys are the best in the world when it comes to identifying something in the air and evaluating its capabilities, full stop. We, yeah, I mean, us, when he's, yeah, I can have thousands of flight hours in an MC or an AC 130, but it doesn't mean that I know, understand aerial engagement. So if somebody is a lay person that's never done this, you don't know how far away you are from their level of knowledge when it comes to looking at something in the air, identifying it and evaluating what its capabilities are and how freakish they may be or may not be. Yep. Yeah. And I'm gonna ask a question about that too, though. So if, if they if they're coming into this uh, to this area where the object is is moving, if the object weren't bouncing around the way they described it, and if there wasn't the churn in the ocean that that was described, let's say it was a stationary tic tac, approximately forty feet long, close to the surface of the water, yeah. is this something that <laughs> that it's bizarre? But is this something that would have caught the eye of, of a pilot like would he have no, could he be flown right by it yeah so that's what i've been trying to explain you know in the go fast video i mean i'm taking all this troll heat from you know thunderfoot or whatever um uh, but basically if if you look um uh, yeah at the at the go fast uh video <clears throat> uh i'm sorry uh sorry i lost my turn of go ahead I'm sorry. so so basically what he's he's asking you <laughs> seeing, seeing this buzzing 
above the water would most pilots just fly right by y that yes yeah sorry <laughs> all right yes exactly so when you look at um how they actually locked onto the GoFast video. That, that's the point. So the argument that, th that they're making, right, that it's a bird uh, or it's a balloon or something, uh, is that it's just, it's essentially stationary, okay? I mean, it's, it, unless a bird, uh, anything going less than 50 knots to us is essentially kind of stationary. Um, our radars can't really see it. It's very difficult for our radars to see it. Helicopters are very difficult to actually see and engage just because they're so slow. You know, all the, just the way our systems work, uh, is your your radar is going to pick up movement. So it, your radars pick up movement as well. Uh, basically, velocity change. On, so the Doppler shift on that on that uh, pulse train, right? But your your eyes work exactly the same way. Um, and this is why when we're fighting, right? If I do an, if if I'm trying to intercept you, right? And say you're flying in your plane, you know, like this, right? Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. As I do my intercept around, I'm not gonna be here and just fly around like this, so you can just see me on the horizon. You know, I'm basically gonna go low or high, and I'm gonna point. You point right at you. So as I'm making this intercept to your to your rear, see. As I'm intercept when I'm going to your tail, you can't you can't see me. Because the move, because I'm point on, right? Because you're not seeing this rapid movement. You're not seeing a, a plane form and line of sight. You see less, and and you and you want. I don't want a fast movement on the horizon. You know, so in, environmentals make they make a huge difference. Uh, they make a huge difference. You know, the sun, where the sun's coming from, uh, how the clouds decks are laid, the the moisture in the air, how how far you can see. Mm -hmm. And Kevin Day, they, they know all this stuff. You know, when they do their check-ins, the last, what's the weather? And then you give this weather briefing. Um, yeah, so to see, and that was a big thing for me on this, is it's just a, it's just a clear day. They say it's just this, it's just a clear day. There's, Water is there's nothing out there. It's like you're walking, you know, you're just walking to the coffee shop. And right across the way, <laughs> you see like this, you know, this flying thing going like this and just moving oh. around. You know, and there's nobody else around, you know. I mean, that's basically the same analogy I would... I would say is well let's yeah. talk about that let, let, let's talk about yeah. what does it take for an object to do that so nathan alluded to there's something under the surface that they have described as um a fuselage looking object under the water that's making the water boil um or at least disturbing the water and so these guys have seen probably by this time hundreds uh, of submarines that have come to the surface and it wasn't that so it's something else and they see this object buzzing around but it's moving in an erratic way yes what does it take for something to do that so we have an object an aerial object i'm not going to call it a flying object for reasons we can get into later but what does it take to do that chris to propulse yeah, I mean, something like that it has zero inertia i mean it, you're basically it has zero momentum you know so that's why in order to you know a helicopter has to put our lift back in you know we put our lift vector mm -hmm. this way will turn but then if you want to go the other direction or stop your direction you have to actually accelerate back to level you know that's why you know we accelerate to something and then we have to decelerate uh when something moves you know it gets faster to here and then it slows down slows down stops and then it gets faster it slows down slows down so your your acceleration vectors are, are constantly changing 
Um, and with this, there's no, <laughs> there's no inertia. It's like it's 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 like it's light or something. It's, you know, it doesn't adhere to our, uh, to our actual our laws of physics. Right, you know, the way that we interact with something in the air. So it's so like a laser pointer. Yeah, if you if you flick a laser pointer around, that's kind of how it, it reminds me of it right. of it actually moving around. And so we we get we get to that point, and now uh, Dave Fravor has been vectored onto it, and he looks down and he sees it, and at some point he tells his wingman Alex Dietrich, "I'm gonna you stay high, I'll go low," uh, and he points his nose down, at which point now the object according to Dave, points the oblong nose of, of the tic-tac at him. So you as a fighter pilot are thinking what when that happens? Yeah, this is probably the biggest difference for me on the on the Nimitz and the Fravor engagement. Um, because, and that's what you're always wondering. So, you know, if I'm like, if I'm fighting with someone, you can tell, you can tell immediately if they can't see you. Right. There's this, it's this old adage, lose sight, lose fight. You know, as soon as I merge, as soon as I'm, I can, if you merge with someone to fight them, you know, and by merge normally is, you know, we haven't, you haven't been able to identify or shoot each other prior to this point, And then you pass high speed and now you're, you're trying to get your weapons on first. Right. So, you know, you've, you've engaged with a, with an enemy. Um, and so now you're trying to get uh, uh, your, your weapons on uh, as, as fast as possible. Um, so it's, it's basically from this engagement, I can tell exactly what normally is when they don't see you. They just, they're kind of continuing. You're like, where's he pointing? You know, like, where, <laughs> where is he going? Does he know I'm coming to shoot him? You know, and, and usually it's because they don't know because uh, it's just so hard to keep track of these planes, um, which are basically like the same thing I was trying to say with the, with the go fast is it's, it's, you can barely see a fighter at four nautical miles. You know, it is bare. You can barely see a fighter at four nautical miles. And if I'm pointing at you, like I just showed you, you're not going to see me at four nautical miles. <laughs> like it's just, you know, we talk about this. It, yeah, if I'm pointed like this, you're going to see me. You know, to see a to see a bird flying at four nautical miles, like halfway between you and the ground, is is it's just impossible. It's like okay, we can we can talk all the semantics about focal length and depth of field or whatever, but you know, basically for them to get the lock in the go fast video. They had their sensor on the ground, you know, on the water, essentially, because they saw it with their eye. You know, they put their little sensor box. You know what I'm talking about. You know, they put your little sensor box out in front of it, looking outside through through your helmet and then waiting for the little white ball to fly into there. And then you look down. There it is. And now they take the lock. Uh, um, that, but was, if it's, that was a sweet moment. <laughs> well, you can you can do that if you see it. Right. If you see it because mm -hmm. it's a white ball traveling right over the white, paint, you know, the blue, the blue water. It's bright mm -hmm. blue water. And if you see this little white ball, you see that movement, it, you pick it up. You know, you, you will see a little white speck moving across the sky on a blue background. You easily. contrast. Um, You've got to have contrast. Yeah, but if it's up at thirteen thousand feet, it's halfway between you and the horizon. It's it's already uh, four nautical miles anyway to see a bird with your eyes, and it's not moving. I mean, it's just it's just not possible. So but, I mean, but um, let me go. Let me go back to my go, question. Go ahead. Yep. Your framer, you nose over and you see the object turn, and and face you. What do you think? That's the that thing. It, this is this is the first engagement where it, it it's maneuvering in relation to them, and that is where this is where we can you can talk about why it's extraordinary. For me, that's this is why it's extraordinary. You know, because they look at the Omaha, uh, you look at those other events, and we hear that hey, these balls they were maneuvering in relation, they were following the ships. Uh, you know, it's tracking right along 
Um, but it's not exactly, it's not as obvious, at least for me as a pilot, when that thing points at you, it's, it's like someone, if a plane, if I can see the plane, like move, like if he points his lift vector, a lift vector is, you know, where you're, where, if I pull, that's where I'm going to turn, mm -hmm. you know, I can, if he points it like this, you know, you can tell he's like, he's, he's, he's looking at me, you know, mm -hmm. it, it feels like, it feels like he's, the plane's looking at me, you know, um, and so that's what I would have felt, man. Is like, <laughs> I've just been engaged. That's what I was thinking when Fravor said that. Uh oh, Chris just froze. So I'm gonna stay with it until he comes back. But lost people. Okay, Chris is back. All right. How long was I out there? Just just yeah. a couple seconds. But I was saying, as a, I'm gonna call myself a layperson because I've never intercepted another aircraft in an aircraft. That's not what we do. Uh, what we did for a living. But I'm saying I thought. Fravor, when that thing pointed at him, he would say, okay, yeah. it's on now. I've just been engaged. And uh, then it started to come no. up co-altitude with him. Yeah, so he's talking about a, a, a two-circle fight. I have my some pens here. Um, so basically, you have the little tic-tac uh, over the water. So he's, he's searching this little patch of water down here, okay? And they said it was like the size of a 737 under the water. Mm-hmm. And then you had your Fravor. I'll put him in green up here. He's with his two ship, right? Uh, so they arrived there at 25K. Um, and so Dietrich, she just holds above, right? She's holding up here. And, and basically the holding pattern you're gonna use is one where you can you can turn and see, you know, see the ground. So basically three to four miles, just right overhead in, in a constant turn. So, she, you know, she's gonna stay within uh, you know, I would say this is like uh, two to three nautical miles. If you can read that. So mm -hmm. this is probably two to three nautical miles, uh, radius of a circle. And then you're looking at like four miles high, you know. Um, so that just gives you an idea uh, of that. So so basically, she's going to stay up in this holding pattern with Slate, right? Uh, Commander Slate. Slate was the backseater for Fravor, I believe. But I'm not I'm not positive. Yeah, so he's your experienced, you know, he's your super experienced Wizzo. He's, I, from my understanding, it sounds like he's running this engagement, you know, um, at least from the from the back, he's the experienced, you know, uh, Dietrich, from what I understand, was was new. She's brand new. I think this guy, this kind of situation, oh, okay. he's going to be running the show, and that, and really, I think, you know, Dietrich's probably just trying to get, gain SA and, and keep in the right formation. So as she descends, you know, as Fravor descends down here, um, he's going to be basically in that in that same kind of over the ground turn but down at this altitude at a lower altitude right so he's he's descending down if we look at above now so let's say this is the center so basically they're they're orbiting this thing right you can see that mm -hmm. so fravor he, he's going to pitch his nose in and descend okay so these are descend descend lines and Dietrich's just going to stay up here watching him as he starts descending down right and and he's he's going to fly a, just a lower circle around this thing uh, and so what happens is as he starts descending down it basically turns and it starts descending up this is above remember now we're looking from above mm -hmm. uh, and this is like uh, this is basically in a normal fight when we're fighting I kind of mentioned it a little bit you're trying to you're trying to turn faster than the other guy. You're trying to raid around the circle uh, faster. Um, but this thing is climbing, actually. 
So he's climbing back up. And that's what also was, was amazing to me is, is when this thing is, sorry, when this thing is climbing back up, uh, it just climbs from a, from a, from a standstill. You know, if you look at any, any air shows like F-22s, they have to have airspeed, some airspeed, a hundred knots, you know, maybe 50 knots, but then they still, it's a slow, you know, climbing out. Absolutely. This maneuver right here where it, it turns at them, it turns at Fravor and then it, it, it maneuvers against him. Uh, it's just, is crazy. That's, that's a mind boggling kind of maneuver there where it, it just, comes up and it's in relation to him so you know it's i mean from everything i heard it it knows it's it's flying in relation to him so uh, okay uh, that's so amazing next fravor moment is they're now in a circle where as you said uh fravor might be slightly above the object because he leveled off when he saw it come up yep um and because obviously he's going to level off when he sees it uh it gaining altitude he's gonna say oh okay well it's coming up so now yes. you have a guy who has no weps aboard no rounds of ammunition and he decides to i think they have a 40 millimeter on there but they had no ammunition and they decide he decides to cut across the circle and yeah. aim his his aircraft at this thing so now we have one yeah. or two things that, that could happen first of all a class a could happen because he could have <laughs> actually hit it and secondly, what strikes me as a non-fighter pilot aviator is the bravery it takes to do that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't think he thought about it. Uh, let me draw this. I mean, this I'll is just, a guy who... Well, you guys can see it. Dave Fravor's the type of guy that when they took his tapes and they brought it to another... I think they brought it to the CIC and he went up there and said, What'd you do with my tapes from that mission? And he said, oh, we've got him. He goes, you got 30 seconds to give me those say, those tapes. I'm going to start tearing this place apart. Like, that's that's the type of dude that Fravor is. Exactly. I mean, you don't get to the position, like I said, you don't, you don't get to that position by uh, not being the man, essentially. Um, I mean, it, it happens, but everything I see is he's the guy exactly like I would expect. You know, that's the guy we want mm -hmm. uh, yeah. leading in that position. Uh, and he's not gonna not do it, uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, okay, so so basically here, I just continued. Um, so what happens after a while is while they continue turning. Remember, we're looking from above. So Fravor, he's in, he's the green line. They turn if we're looking, and and so what you end up with is they're about a mile across. Uh, okay, from above and this is a normal kind of fight this is a neutral fight we would call it because we're both neutral um but what he's able to do is when we when you say cut across the circle we do this to try and point your uh, your guns is it, this guy continues his normal turn um then this guy he, he's gonna over rotate right over rotate and descend so that's where you're gonna do like a diving maneuver to get across the circle and to and to point your nose faster, um, but this is how you would you would rejoin with them in a faster way. Okay, so so as he's rejoining with them, and it didn't sound so aggressive, you know, he just kind of pitches over uh, to continue here, and, and at some point in here, it just like vectors off, right? So he's trying to affect a rejoin. He's trying to get closer to it, and it just 
I still don't get it, actually. It says it just disappears, but I don't know what's going on. If... No, well, you got to listen. He was on Fighter Pile podcast. Um, he's been on a number of shows, but I've also heard him say it It didn't, like, quote, disappear, but it moved so quickly that it looked like it appeared it to disappear. Yeah, it just moved at such a rapid pace. So when we have, you know, the way that we build aircraft is we, we trust mount an engine inside of an airframe and we point the aft of the engine the direction that we uh, opposite the direction we want it to go and if it's a helicopter we trust mount the engine inside there to produce uh, shaft horsepower to turn uh, a power turbine that turns a, a main rotor which then the rotor as you you explained earlier will tilt that with the cyclic will tilt that main rotor head in the way that we want it to go but here we have a craft that if you listen to Kevin Day, that where it went from, he tracked it going from 28,000 feet to 50 feet in under one second. So now you would have to have some sort of a gimbal mounted, omnidirectional, not monodirectional. All our aircraft, the engines are now, of course, you have thrust vectoring in a couple of these aircraft where you're just. I mean, it, you can't even explain the maneuver. The only way to explain that maneuver is it, it's a, you know, there's two, there's two craft or it's a anomaly in the system. You know, it's not even, you can't even do the math on how fast it moves from there to there. You know, it's a, is it, is it faster than light? I don't know. Probably not, I guess. I, 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 yeah, I mean, I, but way a couple faster times than he did terminal say, velocity. That's for sure. Well, Gary <laughs> Voorhees, a couple of times he said it's faster than our systems could track. Um, a few times. And that is a good point that, so it doesn't affect the actual, it doesn't create a shockwave. This is also very uh, uh, extraordinary that it can just travel, you know, immediately to a speed that we know is well in excess of uh, supersonic, but there's no shockwave, you know, and I've done, I've been involved in like uh, sonic boom tests up in Alaska. They did, uh, mm -hmm. there were, we were getting a lot of complaints from yeah, there's a lot of complaints sonic booms obviously are, are very loud and you don't know anything in the cockpit right people ask me like hey what's it like and i'm like nothing you know you don't know you find out usually you find out when you land and it's not a good thing you're like oh shit you know uh um yeah so the the sonic boom aspect is just is another point to show and that that radar anomalies um you, you know nothing we know about physics explains that you know you can't do that if you have any inertia you know i could do it if i have a flashlight and i just you know, I'm pointing a flashlight there somehow, and then I point it down there. But the way that we understand how matter, you know, physically moves and... It can't it, do that. Yeah. And and, no. and also, you again, if, if, if it moves in these ways, because they also tracked it going from down at the sea level up to 80,000 feet in... I don't, I don't know what the time frame was, but it rapid... So then you have to have a propulsion system that ha doesn't emit any heat energy no thermodynamic yeah. energy that we can yeah. see in our ir spectrum and yeah and has, i said this and, up, it, yeah. and, and it has to be omnidirectional meaning it can propulse itself laterally it can be up high and propulse itself down low or from down low and propulse up to nearly the edge of the atmosphere i mean i don't think people can understand how and without breaking the sound barrier, how incredible that would be. First of all, if you could create a propulsion system like that, you also have to be able to counter it to get it to stop if you could get it to go that fast. 
you have to be how do you navigate something like that what are you giving it a gps coordinate i mean it's, i mean it's it's mind-bogglingly uh, yeah it doesn't make any sense you know if you look at this like we look at the this is the flare video you know which is also crazy um if mick west had been looking at this at the beginning um, but if you look at this uh, initially, I thought it was like you were saying, like the, down the intake of an engine, you know, because th this is what I'm kind of expecting that that uh, previous. Uh, but here it just looks like that energy ball. You know, it's like that ball that you see from those F-18 pilots. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry about that. Oh, God. I can't. That failed. I have a question <laughs> from Dan about. The, uh, yes. Let me. Let me. Uh, I have a question that it came to. Yeah. Me. Let's go here. Uh, let's see. Question. We've been talking for an hour. Let's. Uh, okay. Let's talk through the comments here. J James Hetfield. Man, I love the All talk. All right. Proud Babylonian. Join uh, Wilson. Thanks for being here, Captain. Captain Shakes Shakespeare. <laughs> Alan Tovey. Zavin. Uh, okay. Let's just take. Uh, let's see. Uh, unknown truce. What, what, Nathan? What do you have? I'll look here. What's a, what's a question you have? Yeah, well, the next question I had for you is: We hear a lot of, of talk about the cap point. So when it disengages from Fravor, yes. uh, that's when he's told that the object is now at their cap. Uh, could you quickly speak to, uh, for those who may not be familiar with it, what a, what is a cap point, and then who? who in the group of people in that strike group know what the cap point is? Like, yeah. How this is that known? Weird cap point. So the cap point is your combat air patrol point. Uh, it, basically, there's different ways. We, we call it a marshal. If you're marshalling to go with bombs, if you're a bomber or a striker, then you're, you're, in, the, you're in the marshal. You're not in a cap uh, because a cap is generally you're, you're defending an area. You know? Uh, so you're looking with your sensors one way, and then you're looking with your sensors the other way, and you're making someone no, sure nobody can go underneath you. So for specifically like an air defense practice mission, which I'm guessing they would do, just easy, like basic 1v1 intercepts, um, that's where they're going to start. You know, so you basically, to do normal training like this, you know, it's like, okay, you get, I'll be the good guys first, and you be the bad guys, okay? And you just fly straight at me. And now I'm going to do this intercept. Okay. And then you change, basically we change it up. They, they know that you're looking at you. They, uh, they don't know you're there. Uh, they are aware that you're there. Uh, and then they target you. So you, you practice all these maneuvers and it, and it's scripted essentially, right? You have to do these practice, uh, these just like blocking and tackling, you have to do these exact, uh, procedures. You know, that's, that's the whole point of the mission. So the cap point is just where you start. So in the airspace, uh, a lot of people brought this up that it's that it is a big deal, um, but when I, in my research, these are normal whiskey areas, so it, the cap point. I think most people would probably have used that cap point. If you if you look at it, it's right on the the lat longs. You know, it's like uh, whatever thirty eight zero zero and whatever the the north mm -hmm. uh, or the uh, west point is, uh, the west line. So it's right on the point. So it's someone just picked it out in the ocean in the middle it's towards this side. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's arbitrary, but sort of. it's not, I think a lot of people use it. I think okay. if I was going to go to that airspace and use that whiskey that they were assigned, mm -hmm. chances are, I'm going to look in the in-flight guide and it's going to have, Hey, here's cap point East to make it easy. Right. So, okay, yeah. yeah, it's so if like, say I, my airspace gets full or something happens, or there's like a, a an unexplained aerial plane or something flying through there, 
I'll use the next airspace, more likely weather. You know, if weather takes up this airspace, I'll say, hey, is anybody using this airspace, whiskey, whatever it is, 104? Mm -hmm. uh, and then you'll go use it. And so I'll look in the in-fly guide. Okay, what's my east point? Okay, A2, you go, you pick up the west point, uh, and then I'll pick up the east point. And that's where you look in your in-fly guide if you, if you, and you can put in the coordinates. All right, so it's, it's a common point. Um, it's weird that they were there, uh, but it's not like they were mind reading or something. I think it's everybody was probably everybody probably uses that as a normal cap point. And so maybe they were there like, hey, why why is everybody come here? You know. Well, here I think the point is is if Chris was flying at a Luke Air Force base and decided that if they were gonna do some exercises over the water, they wouldn't know what this carrier group's cap point was. Uh, I mean if if I had to go and guess what their point is based on the information they have, I, I would have probably guessed it correctly. That's, that's what I'm saying. Okay, um, so, I think it's a common point okay. in a common airspace. It's, you know, it's okay. like, uh, uh, I guess, um, yeah, you know, each airspace is a little different. And it, when you're going to set up the training, remember everything, all of our fighter piloting, most of it, 95% of it is not fighting, it's, it's, it's training, right? So we're just, we're doing most of our training. So when you're setting up your training areas, uh, you need about, you know, 50 miles, 40, 40 miles, you know, uh, of space to practice this type of intercept mission. If I'm doing basic dogfights, I only need about, you know, 15 miles, you know, so I can share this airspace with other people. So it's all airspace management. Um, and that's why oh. they they know everything in this airspace. You know, the E2, they're making sure there's no planes, there's no uh, unwanted civilian traffic, you know, in the airspace to, to have some safety mm -hmm. violation uh, et cetera. So I think it's a basic cap point. I think a lot of people probably use it. It's still weird. Okay. Um, so finish, finish this sentence. The fact that the UAP, the Tic Tac went to that point and hovered is finish that sentence. It's weird. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, it's weird. Yeah. It's, it, I basically, so what it would tell me is that, uh, they, it's either a, a coincidence Wild coincidence, because maybe there's many of these things we've mentioned before. Could this be multiple? You know, it's, it's like, could you have one at 28,000 and one at 50 and somehow the radar just picks two, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the fact that it can hover at 28,000 feet and can hover at 50 feet with no visible signs of propulsion is, you know, miraculous. Um, miraculous. But the same thing is it it's either it's either a large coincidence uh, or they they saw other airplanes using that as their normal point and was like, I wonder why this airplane thing goes over here and flies around from this point. You know, that's more the impression I get is um, they they saw that these planes would go to this point and hang out. Mm -hmm. And that, and that, I guess that's where I wanted to go too. So apologies for maybe getting a little too speculative. But if you take everything we've just talked about, if you take the uh, observation over multiple days, of of these craft uh who would have absorbed all of this uh, emf energy uh if you take the uh behavior uh when fravor goes out to intercept the craft which is essentially if you if you think about um i think it was described as a as the water turning like like a 747 underneath the, the surface of the ocean if you think about what that look, looks like it's a it's an x all right if you think about the uh the erratic ping-ponging nature of the object above that X. If you think about the way that it engages with Fravor as he circles down toward it, and then where it arrives after it leaves his nose. If you take all these things together, does it not seem 
that this is some uh, you know, human behavior type of, of craft that there, there's it, clearly it's intelligently controlled, but the way that it's behaving and interacting with, with this group, doesn't it make you think that it is human directed? I, I don't know. I mean, for me, my first impression was, was, uh, I, I said it on the Martin Willis show. Uh, it's more of like an insect or something. I don't know. It's like uh, it was doing its own little thing over here and then realized it was being detected like a bee or something. You know, it's it's busy. And then you go up to it like, hey, and you try mm -hmm. and get close to it and it just flies off. I mean, that was, I, I mean, they keep it, human intelligence. I don't know. Or even intelligence. The, big, the biggest thing for me is that it maneuvered in relation to Fravor. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's what it's, it, it, it couldn't be just some phenomena. You know, you could, or it'd be, it'd be very, very, very coincidental to say that this is somehow some weird, you know, unknown magnetic anomaly with the earth or something, you know, and there's some phenomena there because right. it, it moved with, with Fravor. We're not talking ball lightning here. Yes, exactly. But, you know, it's not this thing off a plane that they see. I mean, it's moving in relation to a fighter. I think Nathan, I think you're indicating that they're kind of saying, see, look what I can do or look what I know. It's sort of like a... Exactly um, right. A little bit of games, human, the way the humans would employ gamesmanship over one another. Uh, it does, you know, the, the way you say that, it, it does sort of indicate that. But at the same time, um, I think there's been other, you know, like when you look at that against what happened with Ryan Graves, um, it's, you know, look, I can rotate. I don't know. So it, it's it's very hard to it, it is an interesting hypothesis for sure. This is a good question. Yeah, one of these things is it's just the size. It's so hard to get an idea of uh, of the size of something if you have no idea what it is, <laughs> you know. And we keep getting our range denied. Like I said, you know, really, what I need as a pot, you know, as a as a combat aviator, is you know, angle to where you are and and how far away you are. That's really all I need. And and if I can get that in a, for a long enough period of time. Now I can put a weapon out in front of you. You know, I have to identify you as well. You know, um, yeah. So, so basically, all of these, all of these systems, are, you know, they're designed with the basic under the idea that we'll have some idea of the size of the target. Uh, so it is, it has been difficult. And but one here from Trevor, Trevor Mays. Thanks for all your support, man. Uh, it says, Hey Chris, what do you make of Miss what wouldn't make West belief that the object was twenty feet in length, but this forty feet? And twice as close. Wouldn't Fravor know the sizes and distances? Um, it, it, yeah, I think without a doubt. I mean, without a doubt. Yeah, um, I, I really don't care what yeah. what Mick West thinks the sizes is because all he wants to do is pick it issues. Again, we have uh, we can go through the list of names. We have the Spy One radar. We have all the radar operators. We have the Visobs of the guys on the on the deck. We have multiple aviators that saw it. We have two different radars uh, that saw it. So. I don't really care about if it's 20 feet or 40 feet or 60 feet. They saw something and it did something. And you can pull as many strings as you want and parallaxes and they can't explain how it did that. Unless you yeah. think they're all lying. Then you can say, okay, it's all made up. It's all conspiracy. It's the government. But wait a minute. Before we even answer this, I have a question from Dan. Hey, yeah. at, hey, look over there. Everybody knows Dan on UFO Twitter because he's just – one of the finest gentlemen everybody loves dan so let me ask his question he's actually got right, a couple we'll come back he has two questions for you uh okay um chris 
uh, right before the tic-tac darted off to the left in the FLIR 1 video, it looks like the auto track was starting to lose it. Does he think, do you, Chris, think, uh, could cause that loss of lock? Is it likely it was caused by the tic-tac actively breaking lock? Question mark. Uh, that's the thing where it's, you don't know, right? If it, if it actively broke lock or if the targeting pod broke lock, I think it's, I think it's very weird that the targeting pod, uh, would break lock, you know, because again, it's a, it's a processing, it's just image processing. Um, so in order for the tic-tac to break the lock, uh, it, it would have to move in some manner that is outside of the parameters of the targeting pod. Um, yeah. And I mean, yeah, that's, that's... things do happen. You know, I'm not saying, I don't think, it's not that I don't believe that he, that Chad Underwood did everything and he did everything perfectly. Um, but you can't discount the fact, you know, like switches do get like loose, you know, and I've, you can accidentally hit switches. Uh, you can accidentally hit the brake lock switch. You know, I mean, these things, these things do happen. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but it, again, it, it doesn't matter. You know, the debunkers, they, they focus on all kind of these these minutiae of details, like, okay, we, what was that point, you know, 40 feet beats 20 feet, right? Mm -hmm. um, Trevor. Does it matter? You know, like, yeah, does no, it I, even I, matter? I, that's what I, said. I, I mean, I, I mean, I get it. It It's great if it's improving, but it, I don't think Mick West has ever said he thinks this is a real object, you know? So I don't think he's coming from a point where he's trying to figure out the actual length of the object. You know, he's just trying to prove that yeah. there's some mistake or he's trying to point in right. point holes, which I, I mean, I think does provide, some, it, it provides value uh, for sure. Uh, I, I would just to answer that question real fast from Trevor is uh, if it, it, I do believe is his range estimate is, is accurate because it was flying over the water, right? Like I mentioned before, if some, if you don't have an idea of how, of how big something is like a tic-tac, you know, like if it really was a tic-tac, it'd be very hard to discern the range. If it's just up in the air, you know, if it's like, if it's the argument that they're making for the go fast, where it's, it's halfway between you and the, and the water um, it's very hard to discern size then but if this thing's right over the water and he has a very good reference of how far away it is so he knows his eyes his brain is processing all the information right he knows exactly how far the ground is you know uh, within reason um and, it, and this thing right above it so i think he got a very good reference of how far away it is and his brain was able to process yeah that's that's that you know and, it, and if it looks just like an f-18 because yeah you do that all the time um that overhead it, he knows what an F-18 looks like just from all the training we do, just um, basic training back in the pattern, uh, you know, 25,000 feet is still pretty high, but and, and, yeah. And, and yeah. an F-18 has these really necessary things that we call wings. And so every aircraft that we're familiar with either has a rotary wing, which is how the FAA refers to a helicopter. It refers to it as a rotary wing, because if you took a look at those blades, they're shaped exactly like a wing. Uh, and a rotor craft, meaning like one of your um, uh, CV-22 basically is another form. It's a tilt rotor. Mm -hmm. uh, your quadcopter drones also have our, our tiny little wings on there. That's how, uh, yeah. that's how these things fly. And if it doesn't have wings of any sort, rotary or fixed, then we start going and we can't see some sort of sol uh, uh, thermodynamic energy coming off of it. Then we're like, okay, WTF? What are we looking at right here? Yeah, exactly. There's nothing. It looks totally, totally crazy in in the flare as well. You know, because you see in the TV mode, um, 
if you look in the Thank TV you, mode, maybe I can get it up. Uh, it's just, <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll bring it up when uh, I'll edit it in. But basically, in the TV mode, you look at it, it's just like the perfect outline of a Tic Tac. And I was on that interview with Mick West, you know, we had the live stream. <laughs> and we're like, looking through it, I don't know how else you would, you would show that you know there's a solid there's a straight line on the top of the tv image so it's in it's in the optical spectrum and there's a straight line on the top and the bottom well, you know and then you're that. swapping it's those it's those combined and then we do that a lot like we overlay spectrums right so i want my if i'm in ir i'm constantly going to tv you know or i'm going to black hot to white hot to black hot to white hot and i'm making sure that uh, I go to TV mode because you could always be looking at it from the wrong direction. You know, a plane, it looks very similar, you know, like this is it, it, oh, like this or like this, you know, or a plane looks almost exactly the same like this as it is like this. So you don't know if it's turning towards you or towards you or away from you, you know, so. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I have uh, I've watched sensor operators and they flip through. Um, so I was at the very beginning of the AC-130W Stinger 2 program. We got fitted with MX-15 sensors, which quickly became MX-20 sensors. Um, that's the L, uh, L3 West Cam uh, sensor. And I, I uh, as the flight engineer, would have a laptop in the flight deck, and I'd watch what they're doing and just assist, especially when we were uh, engaging a target on the ground or looking at uh, a scenario where you had uh, uh, basically people in different buildings uh, you know, there's a ma'am or there's a uh, charger or feather walking out of building two, et cetera, et cetera, so that you could engage those targets. And you would see them flipping through all the different modes. They're constantly looking to find out what's the best mode they can get in to track this, this, uh, this person or this object, this uh, uh, vehicle, et cetera. So, yeah, I, I, I know what you're talking about. And, um, yeah, I mean, Mick is coming at it from the aspect he's not trying to figure out what it is. He's trying to figure out what it's not. And he's coming out of his how can I prove that this isn't what people think it is. So when you're coming at it from that angle and you can't argue with all the experts that saw it, then you have to say, oh, well, how, what, what actually was the range? You know, it's like, I mean, ha, ha, it, you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, all these people said they saw what they saw and they're all – trained to do this and to be to be honest i think what a lot of people who give credibility to the story of the navy guys who believe that they're accurately describing what they saw they get caught up in i want them to re release the data so that mick west has to say he was wrong. he's never going to say he was wrong <laughs> and i don't care personally my life will not change if he ever believes these guys or not i don't care it will not make me yeah. happier or sadder if he believes it. Yeah, I mean, I think he does. He sense. does make a good point. Like I said, we have to make sure we we exhaust all the other options for sure. I mean, sure. that's that's the whole yeah. point of science. You know, we can say we we believe that we and we don't, but the point is we need to actually look at it from an objective point of view because we're all biased. You know, hundred sure. percent unbiased. Everybody is biased mm -hmm. in some way. There's there's some filter. <laughs> you know, like I just cannot find uh you know like the juice when i look in the refrigerator whatever my wife wants me to find i open the fridge and my brain <laughs> it just doesn't see it like it's 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 invisible like and i won't ask I, i've learned you know i've been married like 18 years i you know i won't ask where it is you know i just sit there and stare um but that's just bias man your brain filters uh so that's the whole point of this the science is is, is keep it objective 
you know, okay. I'm trying to keep it. I'm trying to keep it not okay. Let's caustic, let's, but at points, you know, I just I, I I'm still myself. Be, you know, let's be yeah. objective. How does yep. a craft move the way that it was reported by the radar, by the visobs, and by the four aviators that saw it? How does a craft actually more than that? Because then you have Chad in a flight of two. Although Chad's the only one that'll speak to it. Um, how does yep. a craft move like that? without I mean, it, any visual signs of propulsion that's what's so weird it, it it moves it moves like light right it has no inertia no weight um but it it reflects it reflects stuff back it reflects radar energy back you know you can see it in certain instances you know if you look at dave, dave falch he has a he has a crazy video on his fleer initially i think that's why he started making videos is he was looking up at the sky and he saw a ball of ir energy fleer energy um, and he's like, what is that? And he, he went to TV, like you can see in his videos. He went to TV and there's nothing there. Mm -hmm. And then he goes back and it's and it's there. And it, is, it was there, I don't know how long, but many minutes. And he I, I don't know if he moved, but he was able to check that this thing was there. Um, so I don't know if it's able. they're able to stealth in certain, in certain frequencies, certain mm -hmm. spectrums. Um, you, you know, it's hard to talk about electronic attack. It's hard to talk about... Uh, jamming and stealth and all this stuff, it's just so highly classified, you know, but, um, you know, you can still see an F-22, right, with your eyes. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can still see an F-35. So, you know, it's not stealth in every every spectrum at all. Um, yeah, because and so you can't question, be stealth in everything. It's difficult. The question is, is if, if this is secret U.S. tech, why are we not pumping? Uh, we spent, uh, I, I gave you the link for the GAO website, and you can you can put that in the, in the, in the chat if you want but uh the f-35 program our most advanced fighter uh fighter aircraft that we have is 1.27 trillion dollar program of what they have progged for this program so if this technology exists why are we not fielding craft like this that can move like this navigate like this so they can just go to points in space uh and stop on a dime why are we not fielding this technology uh, in terms of creating a squadron of these things, I don't know. Well, that's the argument, right? They, that maybe we have, and that's or that's a argument that maybe we have, and that these are the you know the <laughs> these are the the drones, uh, or this is the squadron, which just is just again mind-boggling to me because all of this is scheduled. You know, these these airspaces are are normal training airspaces. So so yeah. So if, <laughs> this like, is, if this is a squadron yeah. of Air Force drones, you're gonna so you're gonna have an object under the water that we don't know what that is, and we're gonna yeah. ingress into a Navy MOA and then we're going to engage Navy aircraft that are involved in training exercises and we're not worried about a class A at all. We're not going to call the J3 at the Pentagon and set up uh, a training area, have them come out to Tonopah or Nellis or Edwards or Groom Lake, for that matter, and and get a couple crews, give them call signs and squawks, make sure everybody's TSSCI read in, and yeah. go and test on the range hey, where, it's, where it's really actually done. Instead, we're going to just we're just going to high uh, high footed into their MOA and engage them without telling yeah. that's that's what people want me to believe and i don't believe that any arm of the u.s government would do that because you could be looking at a class a well, well let me let me play a devil's advocate to that point yeah. though 
um, and 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 I want to I want to agree with you, but as a as an, a counter argument to that, what if this is starting a conversation? What if you're putting this technology in that theater because you don't you have zero concern that there would be an incident? You understand exactly that this this is a workup. You know that there aren't live munitions on these craft. You know the way in which it's uh, going to be operating out in that area. You know that your technology can run circles around anything that this group has. And the entire point of this engagement is to spark a conversation and, and kind of uh, push this in, into a narrative, push it out into the public in a way that uh, asks more and more questions. It, it's a conversation starter. It's one domino in a series of dominoes. I, I don't like the idea because I agree with you. I think it puts a lot of people in harm's way if you're just kind of putting this out there, but if you know what it is capable of doing and what it clearly demonstrated it could do, it strikes me that you're not concerned that you're going to run into a, 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 um, a, 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 a fighter craft. You're not going to bump into the ship. You're not going to, you know, you can do whatever you want to do with impunity. Yeah. I mean, it, exactly. I mean, the, the level of, yeah, tech. I mean, it's just so many orders of magnitude above what we have now. You're talking about, you know, technology that uh, that can move without a propulsion system that we can see. Omnidirectional, omnidirectional propulsion, by the way. Right. And let me yeah. ask a, a question too for you, Chris. So, with um, in the, in the wake of this uh, encounter, and with the advances that we're seeing in just drone tech in general. Um, how, how up to date do fighter pilots stay on the capabilities of things that are seen in the skies? And so as new drones are developed, as new drone capabilities are developed, um, how, uh, you know, sort of how much training is done to understand, okay, Hey, there's this, now this thing that you could see in the sky and it does these kinds of things. And if, if that's being done with conventional drone technology or drone swarm technology, which we know is going to be a big part of uh, future engagements, what about th this object? Is there any kind of briefing that would have been developed that would have been shared or is shared with, with, with other pilots to at least give them some understanding of if, you know, you're probably not going to see one of these things, but if you do, this is some of the stuff that we think it can do. No, not but, if you're not ready. I, yeah, there's, I saw, and I don't know where it came from, actually. Was it from Nimitz or, or not? But there was a, it was a conversation, you know, it was the comm only of a uh, AWACS controller, I believe, with some Navy pilots, you know, and basically this thing joins with them and it's just hovering over the second wing uh, hard, hard point. Do you guys know that conversation? No, no sir. No, not familiar. Uh, someone sent it to me again. I've bitten off on stuff that's fake, so I'm like, I don't know if it's legit. But the, you know, communication is a huge. Uh, as you guys, as you know, DJ, I'm sure is the what's classified a lot is the communication because obviously we're, we're talking right and how we're communicating and how we're operating as a team and 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 how we're using this. It's not just the systems themselves. It's it's how we're using them. Um, is is the tactics, you know, so that is going to be uh, relatively classified. But that so that communication um, was was very, uh, very legitimate. So what here's what we did. I'm trying to get the story is when we did training, we would go and 
you want to instill some some event right in the training so we, we would have where we want to we want to pretend that someone got shot down and so you were practicing what are you going to do to go and help them to protect them to make sure they're okay to set up their coordinates so that we can send the helicopters i was a search and rescue um expert so um yeah so so basically you're you're, you're coordinating um all this information uh for this complicated uh engagement you know for uh, for the CSAR, uh, and uh, yeah, sorry, DJ, go ahead. Let, let me, I'll, I'll answer yeah. what, is, what his question is, is the answer is if, if that technology is protected in, a, in inside of a sapper, then Chris yeah. or in his fighter squadron or I would not be, have been briefed on what that technology is unless you had a need to know if you saw yeah. something or reported seeing something, then you would be approached, uh, by the uh, people who are, uh, you know, are part of that classification authority, and say, "Hey, you didn't see that," or um, "Here's an NDA to say that you didn't see that." So yeah, exactly. You're not so, briefed unless you have a need to know, the main thing with classified yeah. information, you have to have a need to know. Exactly. So, so what we do, right, is when they, when the, when they step, right, so they go to do the mission, we want to pretend that this thing happened, so we give them an envelope. Uh, and basically you put, you know, you put tape over it and you put, you write, you draw on it so you can tell if they open it or not. You give them three envelopes and sometimes you don't have them open it. You know, sometimes it doesn't work out. So if they do open it, you punish them, right? You hammer them. Um, and so when they get in the air, they have this envelope, they don't know what's in it. And then you say over the radio, Hey, open the envelope. And then they cut open the envelope, they open it. And it says, Hey, you have been shot down, right? Pretend, uh, that you've been shot down. Here's your coordinate. Go here, exercise, exercise, exercise. So the same thing in this comm example with the AWACS uh, is they say, open the blue envelope. That's part of the communication at the end is they say, hey, op open the blue envelope. And so that would mean, hey, now they take it out and they open the envelope. And, and what you're asking, Nathan, is in there, it would say, because they don't need, they don't have a need to know yet, DJ, right? Mm -hmm. But once they see that thing, all of a sudden they're on the need to know list. Mm -hmm. And so they say, hey, open the envelope. So they pull out the envelope and they say, okay, you know, try and take a picture of it. This is why we gave you that camera or, you know, whatever. Uh, but they don't. Again, it's not a need, it's not a need to know unless they see it, and then they have the envelope. So in certain instances out there, if if that's a legit and it it seems legit for that reason, because I wonder if people know about the envelope thing, uh, et cetera. So I just, right, and th and that makes sense to me. But I guess what I what I want to get at there though too is if if all of the data gathered in this encounter is legitimate, it, which I think we are we're arguing that it is. You know, there's radar data. We're assuming that, it is. Yeah, assuming it's that very it is. strong. Yep. Yeah, strong evidence. Where there's this was a real thing. Uh, all of that data collection would have been uh, put into a a comprehensive sort of uh, report. Right, like this is what the object did. This is how it was observed. This is, you know, what we know about it. This is kind of what it returned to us or didn't return to us. If this is a real thing, isn't this information, or wouldn't you want this information shared with other pilots that are going to be operating in other theaters? Like, hey, you could run into something that does this. We don't. I'm not saying it's the it's classified, but we know that there, this is a real thing that happened and you could run into it. And if you do, this is what we know it can do. I can, I can speak to this one just initially and then let Chris follow up there. What the Navy did have a read file on this, uh, for the Ryan Graves guys, because they were seeing him every day. So there was now explain to him just real quickly, a read file. When you come in to fly, uh, 
every day you're going to sign off that you've read the latest things that you need to know about that aren't published in a in, in a in one of our our books somewhere so in that read file the latest and greatest will come out you're going to read over everything that came out that you haven't seen since last time you flew which could have been the day prior but in any case you're going to sign off that you read that information and they did say be aware that you may see these things in our working airspace even though ostensibly their air working airspace is moving the whole time but it was following them according to graves right got it yeah i mean a different uh what's interesting too is some of the similarities but differences i don't remember hearing about any tic tac you know in the on the east coast um right but again i'm into researching all that i honestly so i, I think we've covered most mm -hmm. uh most topics i think the biggest thing is it's just hard to accept that it that it actually happened. You know, um, I, I hear it all the time from all these people uh, just saying there is no evidence. You know, there's there's no evidence. And okay. it's like, well, how do you discount, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of eyewitnesses? You know, how do you discount all the radar information? How do you discount the FLIR video? How do you discount all the pilots, you know, the E2, uh, the E2 operators, the, the ship, the radar the operators? That's why I we think it's just a very, <laughs> it's a paradigm shifting acceptance. And I think, you know, I think people rightfully do have a, a means to or requirement for more evidence, which I think is why uh, we do need more evidence. I'm, I'm talking with Avi Loeb. So Professor Avi Loeb uh, on Wednesday, started the Galileo project. So that'd be awesome. I, yeah. I would love to get into other ways to actually just, just get our own information, you know, send up our own. I would like to do it from space where we just send up cheap satellites with those cameras he's talking you know, with the telescopes he has on there uh, and just send those up, you know, it'll see how hard that would be to get approved. Um, hey, but I, yeah, I just think we need more information. I mean, agree. Hey, can we do a, uh, Dan has a second question. Can we do some quick? Yeah. Hitter, uh, yeah let's do a few more. Sounds questions. good. All right. Here's yeah. from Dan. Uh, and okay. Dan, because uh, he's, he's such a, uh, he's a bright light in the UFO community. He said, he wonders if you have an opinion on which sensor would be best suited for collecting data on UAPs. Is that in your wheelhouse, Chris? And would he have a guess about if any of our EM systems would likely to interfere with UAPs navigation systems that possibly cause them to crash? So basically, if you could, if you could fire off some some uh, EM and interfere with them, because that's that that's a rumor. Yeah, I mean. You can collecting interfere with first. them. Collecting data I mean, first. yeah, you brought up a good point, right? If you can go as fast as they're traveling, if you can travel as fast as they're traveling, then it, you know, remember like Dune, you know, where they like use the spice to like see through. Really, the the, the idea is they have to see the point that they're gonna that they're gonna uh, end up at. That's Ooh. the whole point of the whatever the spice travelers in, in in Dune. So how do they know where they're gonna go? I mean, like like you brought up. I mean, the navigation that. I mean, there's no windows on this thing. There's no sensors. I mean, this is completely, I mean, I would call it completely alien technology. I mean, look, it just looks so weird. Just a, mm -hmm. a just a, uh, a Tic Tac, you know? So yeah, I mean. Well, you don't need windows because there's definitely not a human inside. If it accelerates at that speed, they'd be crushed. All right. What you got okay. for listener? Let's see. Well, why don't we take uh, any other questions? What do you guys that uh, Dan had uh, that. That was basically his question: Is what do you think uh, would be best suited? Uh, what type of sensor? Yes. Would, okay. So yes. Good point. Yeah. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Uh, as we showed, I think uh, you know, as Dave showed, is you want it in IR and as many spectrums as you can hit 
and it looks like IR has been really good. Um, that FLIR, you know, that uh, the Aguadilla was was weird, you know, but but the most recent with the Omaha that was clear, and then the FLIR pods, you know, we can we know we can see them with that, even though it does look you know weird sometimes. So I would I would go with multi spectrum. You know, if you can do like an IR, uh, it's got and that can see at night as well. So I would go IR and then and then also visible. Um, because it looks like they may be invisible to visible spectrum uh, for some reason, um, and so and then you want more than one pick one position, right? Because if we only have, that's the problem with a lot of these issues is, is we only have uh, the FLIR. All I have is one video of that, no other corroborating data. Whereas if we had the radar, if you could correlate, the, you know, with timestamps, the radar data uh, along with. So if you have two uh, sensors, you know looking at a point now I know how far away it is and I can and I can figure out how big it is so that's what I would say IR I've been I have been thinking about it I want to ask Abby about it is how do we make our own you know make our own systems uh, make it open source just like open source direct like there's no in between it's like we use blockchain technology and we just go straight to a database and no one can mess with it like you know? Skyhub <laughs> so, have you seen Skyhub you no check out I mean Skyhub. you have heard of it yeah, I mean, if you think about it, so let's say you go, let's say there is aliens, right? And they, they do exist. Um, and they're maybe there, or, or there's elements of our society that are interested in keeping this quiet. Okay. The best place, <laughs> the best way that would happen is if we keep all the information classified or stovepiped, and then we put it in like one place, right? And if they really do have like this advanced technology, they can just get rid of it. But now if we open source all of our stuff, we put it on like, like put on blockchain or put on technology that's open source. People can't, you know, they're, NSA they're, can't, NSA thing. can't break blockchain, you know, so keep it base level open source. And now it's pretty tough to, to keep that information on a lid, you know, or keep a lid on that information. So yeah, I hope, hope to do that uh, in the future. I guess five by five news. Welcome. You said Raytheon guys in the chat. Is that true? I never do we have any after techs? No. Okay, uh, we'll answer this from Gunther. Uh, where'd it go? Is there a possibility the Chinese have developed advanced tech for their drones? Any rumors of them doing new tech? So I was, you know, I was, did overseas the last six years. So I'm not up to date on any sort of like Chinese technology. 100% they have developed advanced tech for their drones. You know that without a doubt, this is the future of fighting. Um, you know, you gotta, you just, you can watch that conference uh, the air warfare conference Elon Musk was in. He talks about future fighting is going to be drone related, um, et cetera. So without a doubt, they have advanced tech uh, for their drones. Um, the biggest thing in, in maybe advanced? 2004. Advanced no, <laughs> no, I mean, even you look at gimbal, right? So a gimbal, it looks, it looks, uh, let me get, you know, it looks innocuous enough. It's just, uh, you know, it's just flying, you know, it, but, but really, if you look at the, the altitudes flying at 25,000 feet, there's not that much air up there. You know, you have half the air you have at 18,000 feet. That's why a helicopter cannot fly up those altitudes or it's, it's you know, it's uh, unheard of. Or, you know, like Everest, they have serious issues in the mountains. You know, I worked uh, with search and rescue and I learned a ton about helicopters. They're always limited uh, on their weight because their, their propellers can't go faster than supersonic or, or you know, the faster they go past supersonic, they run against those issues. We're talking about those shock waves. So they're limited in speed. Uh, of course, I'm sure I'll get shot down with physics. Um, but yeah, they, they're limited. So, uh, you know, I, even an Osprey, I don't think could do what that thing was doing. 
uh, with yeah, rotor technology. They can't. I can. I can tell you. Yeah, for sure they can't. Uh, and even the the CH forty seven or MH forty sevens can do rescue at higher altitudes than a CV twenty two does. Um, yeah, exactly. So and for so for it to be like a rotor technology, like a drone rotor technology, you know, it, I think is not possible because it's. Or it'd be very difficult. It's at twenty-five thousand feet and flying three hundred knots or two hundred fifty something knots. There's one other important po uh, point to that uh, too. Well, one, it was flying into. He mentions on the video, it was flying into a hundred and twenty knot wind doing that speed. Second of all, um, he said it was not visual. It was only on IR. Yes, that's, exactly. That's that was really... what's interesting for me for uh, for Falch. Um, there was one other question. Yeah, exactly. It's so I you want multi spectrum and and I, IR is the best because it works at night and during the day, right? So I, yeah. I would go with the fact yeah. that Graves couldn't see it with Mark One eyeballs, but he saw it with his pod. That's like oh, for for Underwood, you mean? No, or chat uh, Ryan Graves. So we're talking about uh, yes, sorry, yes, he could exactly. not see it with Mark One eyeballs, but he saw it on his sensor. That's and I think that's nuts. what freak, freaks these guys out. You know, imagine you think something's there. You, you know, you say, hey, hang on a minute, mission. You know, I'm going to go check something out over here. And then you go and track something down and it just like, you, you can't find it. You know, it's just gone. I mean, that's, that's kind of the impression I get. There was one last question was, um, what about NATO? I can't remember. Sorry. Uh, uh, basically, are you hearing about this in other, uh, other places? Um, and I never heard of anything when I was flying, you know, it just, you'd never, I, I was always under the impression that I believe without a doubt there's, you know, we're, we're, or it's very high chance that we're not alone, but it's just so far away that based on, you know, the travel faster than light travel is not possible. It would take forever, you know, so it's just not, um, not possible. Yeah. So I just never considered it, you know, you're never, you're never thinking about it. Um, I was never vectored on anything. Like I, I think you notice that with the air force, uh, they haven't had a lot of these events. They seem kind of against it for some reason. Maybe they're just traumatized um, from the first time around. Um, and if so, were, if it were me, Chris, and I were the government, and I, I, if I were the U.S. government, and I had this this tic tac technology that we've spoken as is right now, I wouldn't. I would be flying over North Korea. I would be flying over nuclear, uh, uh, Russian nuclear sub facilities. I would be flying over China. I'd be flying in all those places right now if I had that technology where I thought I, uh, that there's no way that they could shoot me down. Uh, but there have been a few, there have been cases when I was in here in Europe, my buddy here, I, uh, Salva, a good, he's a buddy of mine. And, and he was all into, you know, he kept asking me, you know, have you seen any aliens? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, at once you know and he's like no way you know and i'm like no like every time you know that was a common joke he would never believe that uh, that i didn't see anything um but uh yes there have been other pilots that i've seen on documentaries there were spanish pilots that saw uh there's been uh, french pilots i believe uh, in afghanistan etc so mm -hmm. there has been other cases um i mean i'd be flying multiple sorties a day if i if if, if the if the operating theory and this is what we talked about nathan that this craft, it's U.S. craft, and I'm testing against the Navy guys, and I feel like it's impervious. Because so here we are burning dinosaur fuel using MX-20s, but to get to gather intelligence, and these these guys have something uh, that that the U.S. government has something that's white, has no exter extremities hanging off of it, no cameras, no anything. But I could go gather intel. I'd be flying 50 sorties a day. Over, I'd be flying over Iran. I'd be flying over Russia. I'd be flying over China every day, gathering intel. If I, if 
first of all, I don't have to worry about fuel. I don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> I know they can only see me. Oh, there's only certain systems they have that can see me, and they can't shoot me down. And if they do try to shoot me down, I'm just going to zip away. I'd be flying. I can't think of how many sorties. How many sorties would you be flying every day with this thing? With Tons. the with the Apfler, or if you had the no, yeah. if you had the Tic Tac, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean it's just mind-boggling technology, and I don't know. We'll see. I, yeah. I'm so I'm still on the Nimitz. Like I said, yeah. uh, I'll be talking with Avi Loeb on Wednesday, so so that is uh, exciting as well. Thank you, DJ and Thank Nathan so much, from brother. Life MMA and NBA Podcast. Thanks to everybody. Uh, who is in the chats is the first live stream. Uh, so let me know how, how it went. I'll go ahead and add some better uh, editing afterwards. Uh, but anyway, guys, thanks for being here. Any, any last parting shots, DJ or Nathan? I'm good, Chris. Thanks for having us on. I yeah, want to thank, thank you, Nathan. Thank you, brother, for always bringing the conversation to a higher level, man. Anytime. All right, guys. Thank you, brother. Peace. Thanks, everybody. Closing the stream. See ya.
sorry to hear that, Jimbo. <laughs> we were we were discussing how this is like uh, this is basically one big uh, money pit. This racing I was talking with uh, 